Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spore the Warning podcast. This is review number 712 with a review of 3,000 Years of Longing. I'm Christopher Shazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you. Um, this week, we are here to talk about 3,000 Years of Longing. Um, this is a story about a woman who finds a bottle that contains a gin. So, Stephen, have to ask you... If you were to, you know, crack open a beer and out pops a gin, um, offering you <laughs> three wishes, do you think you could find some wishes to do that would avoid all the cautionary tale stuff um, that, as Tilda Swinton would say, you know, always surrounds these type of stories? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought through this while watching the movie. I feel like the cautionary tales are because people get too greedy. They leave open-ended wishes that can backfire on you spectacularly. Um, yeah. I think specificity probably could get you out of a lot of jams. Like, for instance, I wish $20 million would appear in my bank account having not been taken from anyone else, you know, like, <laughs> and like then probably there's a thing like that that you could do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe you get audited by the IRS, but you know, you think a little longer than my like two seconds of thinking you can imagine yeah. a tangible wish you could make that would not have a backfire in any way. At least I yeah. want to think so. Even though I think Tilda might disagree with me. <laughs> How about you? Do you have a wish in, in tow? <laughs> Yeah, I, the one I was trying to think of, especially given the uh, weather that we're supposed to have this weekend, mm -hmm. I was thinking, like, what if I could, like, emit a field around myself of a distance of maybe up to, like, a football field, um, but mm -hmm. it's variable according to my will at the moment, that would just have its own climate inside it that would be whatever the climate is that I want. Like, I could mm -hmm. do a Nathan Fielder, it's winter in the middle of summer type of thing <laughs> yeah. at, at, around my house if I wanted to, or if it's just a hot day. I could just walk around feeling nice and breezy and feeling all good. Um, I feel like that See, would work. I, I just assume, yeah, I just assume any kind of thing that involves a power, like a change of what you can do, is like a recipe for a nefarious thing to creep in there of like, how have I changed, you know, and accidentally hurting a person who needed to be in a temperature controlled room, but your force field <laughs> climate, you know, doesn't obey the laws of physics. So their desire to warm themselves doesn't work against the chilly weather that you, you know, I, that's why my, I want something tangible. Give me cash. <laughs> Cold, my, hard my, cash. My, my like 58 degree climate intersects with like the pacemaker and somebody when it's like 110 exactly. outside and it just explodes and they die. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, or someone is uh, trying to bake bake uh, ham <laughs> and because your climate doesn't obey the rules of like thermodynamics it goes in there they've had this thing maybe let's say chicken they've had it in the crock pot all day but it hasn't actually is cooked. ruined <laughs> no but they get salmonella they die you oh, know gotcha. they get botulism yeah, yeah. you basically like made the thing not be warm in the middle of the way it was supposed to <laughs> But see, I was saying I all could, the people you died. You but I was saying that I could control it, so I could literally make it like my body plus three millimeters, right? Like mm -hmm. something like like really just all the way up against my body or something, right? Right. right. It's just there's going to be a time when you don't realize you're walking by, you know, a pork restaurant and you just accidentally <laughs> just destroyed their it. ability to have food safety. But think about it this way: What if uh, you know every time that you uh, you're holding a cup of coffee, you take a sip, you're like, "Ooh, that's cold," and you just make the bubble around your hand around the coffee. And then make it 120 degrees or whatever. You yeah, want. that couldn't go wrong. I'm not going to forget two minutes later and pick my nose. It's <laughs> a great idea. Speaking of the heat wave, though, have you looked at the actual um, estimates? Like California, almost everywhere is supposed to be terrible, like 105, 107, 108. The last yeah, time yeah. I checked San Francisco, it like spikes at like 83 or something. It's yeah. pretty wonderful if it, if it is still on track to do that. Yeah, un unfortunately, I'm going to be down south a little bit this weekend. So, Ooh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. it's uh oh holiday weekend. This is rough, rough timing for everybody. I can yeah. just stay indoors. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I wish everybody could have a good temperature this don't holiday. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure everybody listening now is wishing that we'd get started with this review, Stephen. So, what do you say yep. we do that? <laughs> Let's do it. 
All right, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for 3,000 Years of Longing, and then we're going to come back and give everybody a review. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So, what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. story about wishing that is not a cautionary tale we all have desires even if they remain hidden from us but it is your story and i cannot wait to see where it goes oh how it might end hello hello he'll be staying for a while Beginning to wish we'd never met. Don't say that! Make a wish! Save yourself! I have a wish. All right. So that was the trailer for 3000 Years of Longing. Um, it is the story of a woman who is a narratologist, um, who is somebody who studies and collects narratives, I guess. Um, and basically, one day on a trip to Istanbul, she, you know, she purchases a little, uh, a little bottle as a little keepsake to have. And while she's trying to clean it, boom, out pops a gin. And uh, she is basically given the opportunity to make three wishes. And uh being a narratologist, she knows all about uh, what happens in these type of stories. So she spends some time to try to think of what is worth making the wishes on. And uh, we kind of see the story of this gin and sort of uh, how we all came to the moment that we're watching. Stephen Miller, what did you think of 3000 Years of Longing? Yeah, so I have two main thoughts about 3000 Years of Longing. First is that I really enjoyed it. And second is I don't know why it was made or how it was greenlit for the budget it was greenlit for. And I don't actually know who it's for. Um, the, those things, those combine to be what I love about it. Because here, here's the thing about this movie. It is not a conventional plot by any means. Uh, I don't think the trailer is that conventional, but the trailer could make you think, this is going to be a journey of two lovers through time with a lot of different, you know, it's going to be a cloud atlas type thing where they're going to recur in different stories throughout the years. And it's going to be this like tale of love and devotion or something. This movie is not that this movie is Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba in a hotel room and him recounting his past to her for about 80% of the runtime. <laughs> um, and that is such a, interesting construction for a movie because it does not have like forward plot momentum it doesn't have the usual things you would do in a movie especially a movie with money that is very much on the screen you know this is basically taking big budget spectacle it feels almost like 300 or something right if you know like yeah. like there are things about it that feel very big and action movie visuals and then they're tied to a story that is basically a person talking through different folk tales and kind of jumping around in time and philosophizing about the nature of love. And then it, it culminates in a thing that is just very 
it is not at all what I would have expected, basically, going into this movie. I don't think people who know George Miller from Mad Max Fury Road um, are going to have any idea <laughs> what is what is coming when they watch this thing. Um, but I loved it for that, because there are things here. There, there's a scene early on where we are told the story of the Queen of Sheba and Solomon, Solomon's visit. And it is big beautifully rendered you know hyper real kind of the colors are a bit extreme there are magical creatures just kind of like chilling in the background that we never have to see up close there are instruments that play themselves there's like this um this fantastical almost what fantastic beasts wants to do like this intermingling of magic and real world that this movie just effortlessly does and does with a very big budget and great looking visuals to show for it um, in service to a story that is just kind of like bouncing around and reminiscing on, you know, the myths that we tell each other through history and the reality being also magical, but different. And it, I don't know. I, I was really taken by this movie. Um, it, it basically just hops through a few different times. I don't want to spoil all of them, even though I don't know if spoilers are even possible for this movie. But the two times that we spend the most time on are, I would say, the beginning, the Queen of Sheba, and just like being introduced to this kind of world that she inhabits. And then a story involving Ibrahim the Mad, which is like a brother of a vengeful uh, sultan. And there are everything is just heightened and so interesting and fairy tale and I had like a dumb smile on my face while I was watching all of this. I love Idris Elba just recounting all of these stories to our heroine. Um, in the final 20%, it kind of loses me a little bit because this movie has established that it is going to be storytelling. And to me, that should mean storytelling culminating in an ending where a decision is being made or about to be made and then cut to credits. You know, th to me, that would be the structure of this movie. And instead it decides to then follow us in modern time for a little while and continue the story. And there the narrative kind of, it doesn't lose itself for me, but it's just so different from the 80% that came before it. I don't know how to reckon with it. Yeah. Um, but I think it is it is a beautiful, strange movie. There's something very kind of enchanting and bizarre about it that I, I really enjoyed. And I think there are actual emotions buried in it that work on me, even if I can't really explain why they work. It's something about like the desire to find meaning and excitement in a world that doesn't let you have it anymore, a world that ruins every beautiful thing. You know, every wish can turn sour. Every technological advancement becomes noise. It becomes painful. And there's something about just saying, let's turn that off for a second and just enjoy what it means to feel things and not understand them. Uh, and I think at the end, it kind of is an eternal sunshine premise in that it's like love is impossible and illogical and it is totally doomed to fail. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> th there's something there that I really, really enjoyed. But also while I was watching it, I could not help but think how how did anyone think this should get a ton of ads and a giant release. Like what, what on earth was going to happen with this? And of course the box office did not turn out well for this movie, <laughs> um, yeah. which doesn't surprise me, but I was quite taken by it. it. It is rare to see this much money put in service of something. So like idiosyncratic and strange and interesting. And I think for that alone, it's worth celebrating. Tell me what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, before I jump into it, like I, I will say that I, I went into this film a little cautious. You know, uh, yeah. I had my own little cautionary tale. Uh, you and I were having a conversation about like what little we had heard about the film. And I won't yeah. I don't want to paraphrase what you were saying because I don't want to misquote you. Um, but I interpreted what you were saying to be oh, there's a good chance I'm not going to like this movie. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely what I was hinting at. <laughs> so I, I went into this movie being like, all right, we're going to check it out. We're reviewing this. I'm, I'm willing to let it wash over me. Let's just see what we get. I hope it's not the thing that I interpreted from stuff Stephen was saying that he heard about it. Um, and I went into the movie. And from the start, I was, you know, 
I, w- I was having a lot of fun with it. Like when it when it starts out, I really like this premise of this narratologist who <laughs> like it, it's almost like it, it's like doing the the scream setup, right? Where the people inside the horror film know the tropes of the horror film, so they're able to do it. But she has all this wealth of knowledge of like the history of storytelling and why stories are told and the backstory to, you know, our way to explain the world was to try to make up stories that explain why things happen and then pass those on for generations and generations. And I just liked her interplay with like, she is now faced with a, a gin and she has to decide what do I do based on my knowledge? Like that was all fun. So I, I was really, really vibing on what it was doing just from the, the sort of, uh, the you know like the playfulness of the scenario and the way that Idris Elba and Tilda uh Tilda Swinton talk to each other um that was really really cool but then as more and more the story comes out and the more and more it gets deep into what it's doing and this sort of like meditation on love longing desire um what it means to think you're satisfied being alone and whether or not that is a true state that you can even be in uh, whether you need other people to sort of bounce off against to be able to sustain yourself and i really got sucked in really really deep to the way the story was told like it's 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 a beautiful visual story but it's also a beautiful touching tale of these three moments in time that Idris Elba's character went through and his experience in these different time periods and with these individuals and how those shaped who he is and and I think like you know I've seen a lot of films where Tilda Swinton is sort of playing this uh quirky character who is fun I want to say perspicity (laughs) That, that feels like a very correct uh, word for it. Um, but like, you know, she's always good at that. Uh, I think Idris Elba is fucking phenomenal in this film. There is hmm. like, it could, this could have been a thing where he is like, Tilda Swinton is, she is quirky. Her character has a thing, a specific way about her. Hmm. Uh, Idris Elba's Jin character is you see in like he isn't like an all-powerful being who has been through some shit for three thousand years or whatever right like it, it is it is you are seeing the weight of everything he's been through in his eyes in his voice the way he talks about situations like he just the way that he performs his character was very very engrossing and, and it just it, it just it, it communicated everything you need to know about the like the depth of everything they went through like you know usually we watch this thing and it's all about the person who discovered the djinn and what is going on in their life but this film is really about what it meant to be this being across time with the people that they've interacted with and w- the journey that they've been on with with how important it was to them to accomplish the tasks that could go on or to stay in one scenario longer than maybe was necessary because of the the way they've been wrapped into it and the feeling feeling of like betrayal and stuff of different times a period of time when he was trapped in that bottle like i just thought it was a really really beautiful story that like the whole time just kept uh pulling me in and making me want to watch more of it um there was one part that kind of made me laugh uh not at this film, but it made me laugh because uh, I, I don't remember if you remember our review of whatever the X Men film is, where Oscar Isaac plays Apocalypse. I guess it was X Men Apocalypse. I, oh, Apocalypse! <laughs> Apocalypse is my favorite movie. <laughs> um, but uh, there, there was that scene. I don't remember if you like the thing that everybody was memeing, where he's like, "Superpowers! What yeah. are you doing? Learning." There's a scene. Where he just elbows doing a, a similar yep. thing, but it feels so honest and real. And it's this, this like this superpowered being hanging out in a room, just sort of absorbing whatever information he can. And it's not like you don't need to communicate to the viewers what he's doing because it's obvious what he's doing. And just mm-hmm. the way he sort of just absorbs that, I was like, see, this is how you do that scene. Yeah, <laughs> this is totally no, I, working. I think the whole. The whole introduction of Idris Elba's Jin character showing how he kind of acclimates to modern time and to the information of modern time and the slow ramp up over quick ramp up by human standards over like five minutes from his size, his language comprehension, his everything to the one that is ultimately narrating the movie. I think that is handled so well. And again, like you say, it does it without explaining much of anything. And he plays it straight. Like, I think the whole thing 
works because Idris Elba plays this 100% authentically. He yeah. plays it like, imagine I am a person who has been trapped for thousands of years, who has not talked to another person in ages, who now has a chance to recount my story. How would I behave? What would I latch on to? What would I focus on? What would traumatize me? You know, I, I think he just does a really, really, really good job of that. And it never plays it for laughs, even though it is also a very zany movie. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it just strikes that strikes that tone really, really well. It, it is funny, too, because the trailer is definitely cut and stylized to make it feel like it is more tongue-in-cheek and zany. Mm-hmm. But it is like, you know wholehearted and like serious yeah. about what it's talking about and it's like there are moments that are funny there are things that yeah. are happening that are funny but it's not really it's it's you're you, you vibe with it on a level that makes it feel like you're just doing a complete serious narrative drama um and yeah i i, I thought that was pretty incredible and i like too that you know this is the first time idris elba's character has been in the world in modern day mm-hmm. but it's not played like a fish out of water thing. You just get to see him spend time learning about the world and being like, this makes sense. Okay, cool. Yep. Oh, I see. Oh yeah. It totally makes sense right. that people would do this. Like, Oh, transmissions. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. <laughs> like it was just interesting to watch, to watch him play in that world, but not feel like it, it's not supposed to be like a Captain America or a Wonder Woman where it's this person is plucked out of another place, brought here and has to, like acclimate to the world so they can behave in what looks like a normal way. It's just a person understanding the world and thinking about the world with the new complexities that they're learning about that didn't exist the last time they were free from a bottle. And I I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. And and that kind of part too is where what I will call the epilogue, which is actually, I would say the last quarter of the movie, (laughs) um, which takes place in modern day, in general, I still I stand by my belief that the movie would be better if it didn't have it. I think it would be more mysterious and end on kind of the the rush of her first wish, I think would actually be the best ending personally. Yeah. But what I do love in those final moments of what I think kind of justifies them existing are these conversations he has with Hilda Swinton about the amazing advances that humanity has done but then also the hate that they've brought toward each other and these amazing signals but then the the crushing noise of it and the the pain and aggravation of daily life like there's something that feels very covid era about this movie even though i believe production began before covid um the message of it feels like what happens when you have to sit still for a little while. Like yeah. what? I, I, there's just something there that got me in a in a really powerful way. Even though, again, I just want you to imagine the movie ends on the rush of wish number one and like <laughs> cuts to credits. I, that to me, that is the eternal sunshine ending. Um, and instead, this lets it linger longer and lets George Miller kind of philosophize a little bit more than I think it needed. Um, <laughs> Do you want it to end on that rush or that shot of? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the little I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it the s the s shape mm. of the the entanglement <laughs> yeah yeah the entanglement i think but yeah what did you feel about the visual the visual style of this movie because that was when i was immediately like I, I frankly stopped being worried that you were gonna be unhappy you watched the movie i thought you still might think it's a little bit of a mess <laughs> but visually the moment it cuts to queen of sheba her court i was like oh yeah we're fine <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is uh th- there is that scene where uh you know th- th- there's a scene that involves music and it was like he played the most beautiful song that's ever existed and like it starts and i'm like really come on and then once everything kicks in i'm like all right that's oh, a pretty good song weeping in the album <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, it really like, is a beautiful scene <laughs> yeah yeah it's and it's so it's so intriguing with the 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 chair slash instrument yeah that's also alive yeah it's like yeah. it's like a little bit of Groot in there <laughs> well and i also i just love that and maybe there is mythology that conjectures this too but it is you know th- this is like an intersect uh, intersecting of different things you know uh the story of solomon shows up in the bible you know in the old testament um 
uh, the Queen of Sheba, I believe, also shows up in other cultures beyond just the biblical account of her meeting Solomon. And this movie kind of conjectures, like, what if Solomon is actually a kind of magical trickster of sorts? Like, he he is, like, he is in a different type of mythology than the one that those of us who were brought up in religion maybe had with him. And I think yeah. the movie is playing with that in a really fun way. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love, too, the way that is communicated to Tilda Swinton. Like, she... She knows all these stories, so she knows all the accounts. So, like, there was just there was something very, very fun about uh, Idris Elba being Elba being able to tell him or tell her, like, "Oh, that's not exactly how it happened," <laughs> like because he <laughs> has the actual narrative from being there, and she, you know, like like she is cautious about like what it, what if he's a trickster gin himself, mm-hmm. but she also is like, "Oh, well, you were there, so I can take what you're saying as truth because like this is your." story that you're telling me right now and like yeah. under a normal circumstance i wouldn't necessarily believe you but because <laughs> clearly you have powers and shit so you were there mm-hmm. um, like I, I know there was something fun about just her her getting to dive into the things that she has studied for so long with new context that she wouldn't be able to get other than in this circumstance that she's in now yeah and i think it has to be her character this happens to because anyone else would not be so credulous as to be like okay yeah tell me what happened <laughs> you know there would be like the first half hour of the movie would be prove to me that you're real i must be dreaming i must have had a you know food poisoning or whatever chris must have walked by the restaurant i ordered at and <laughs> they undercooked my pork <laughs> <laughs> You know, there would be a thing of the disbelief and then the jumping from disbelief to the magic that we live in would feel jarring. But here she is like she's built her life around these stories and unpacking truth and fiction from them and being swept away by it. And and so here, the moment this happens, she's like, okay, (laughs) let's get down to brass tacks. (laughs) You know, my conundrum. I've heard this story before. (laughs) And I, I like that. And she sells it. You know, she sells a very, very, very um, quirky type of human being that you need to let the story work the way it works. Yeah, yeah. Man, there there are some things I want to talk about. I want to ask about. Um... I think we should do a light spoiler section. Because okay. okay. I also, yeah, I would also like to just talk through some things. But I think the details of this movie are better if you go in relatively blind. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't want to really spoil where it goes. One thing I will say in a non-spoiler section, and I just won't um, put it in a particular time and place, is there's a visual of containers melting and unmelting that I think is so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I still don't get uh, like I, I, I get I get what is happening. I technically get why, <laughs> but also why. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fable logic basically yeah, you yeah. know it, it works in the way of like a grand story that would be passed down tradi- I mean, by tradition but watching it play out in his eyes i mean that we can get into it in spoilers but to me that is kind of like the joy of so much of this movie is things are happening that are very not just magical but fantastical in like the scale of what is taking place and the roundabout ways that they are being done and yeah. the um there, you know, there are things that are would only exist in historical art, like would not exist in any realist story. But yeah, then yeah. Idris Elba plays that with such like sincerity and raw emotion that it makes it feel real. And that combination of like fantastical scale, we are listening to a fable or a cautionary tale with this is a hundred percent real, and I was there. Um, yeah, it I don't know, it spins your head in an interesting way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it like it's there because of the last time it's used. Um, like that's the whole mm-hmm. point of setting up that yeah. concept. Um, so it's definitely a, like a narrative contrivance, but it's still it it's still awesome looking, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's uh, let's go ahead and get to verdicts for now um, before we have our mini uh, spoiler segment. Um, so for now, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give us a must-see, reckon with a caveat, wait for until pass with a caveat or a must-avoid, what would you give it? So when I left the theater, I would have given this a recommend with a caveat, mainly because I was still a little bit overwhelmed by how non-standard the plot was and how disappointed i felt like other people might be in it but the longer the movie has sat with me 
I think just for the visual inventiveness and the kind of raw emotion that it taps into, I want to give this a must-see. Uh, I do think it is a imperfect movie. I think it is messy. I think, again, lob off that final part of this story and you have a better, more clean movie that at least is doing one thing the whole way through. But I don't know. It feels like a passion project, and I just love celebrating a passion project. So to me, it's a must-see. I think it is so visually striking and its own thing. It, it would be a shame to not catch this movie. Yeah, um, I, it's a must see for me as well. Like, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, and, you know, it, it's definitely a film where it's like harder to talk about. Like, if we were having this conversation directly after leaving the theater, it would be harder to sort of talk through everything. But having had time to like sit with it and kind of think about it um, for a little bit, I started reading. Uh, at the end, it said based on a short story. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to go read that short story. And it turned out to be a little bit longer of a short story than, mm. <laughs> than what I was expecting. So I didn't uh, I didn't get to finish it before uh, we sat down to record. Um, but but uh, but yeah, I, 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 it's 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 definitely a film that you're going to want to think about and potentially discuss with people after you've seen it. Just uh, it's good to sit and let it wash over you a little bit before you start jumping into those conversations. Um, yeah. You know, you're not the first person that has told me the ending <laughs> has sort of bugged them a little bit. Um, but I think it fits in with what mm. the narratives that this film is trying to center around. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's two must-sees. Go ahead and be one of the few people that actually goes out and sees this in theaters. Um, and uh, like, yes, as Steven mentioned earlier, 80% of this film is people sitting in a hotel room talking. <laughs> but there are some pretty epic visuals and beautiful oh, yeah. things that are worth seeing on, on a larger screen. Um, so it is worth getting out to theaters. Check out. Yeah, de definitely. I think the visual dazzle of the movie is much better on a big screen than it would be at home. Unless you have Chris's setup, in which case maybe it's identical. <laughs> <laughs> man i'm definitely gonna rent this when it, <laughs> when mm -hmm. it comes out uh but yeah so uh that is the main review of for our conversation about three thousand years of longing um we are going to do a pre-spoiler goodbye right now so Stephen miller people want to find you that the week where can they do that uh people can find me at twitter.com slash s david miller or s david miller.com People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning, Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning, or Instagram.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold, hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from a track selected from artlist.io, so hopefully you're enjoying that. Um, yeah, that music is playing right now. It's going to fade up, and when that mu music fades out, we will be in full-blown spoiler territory. So uh, unless you want bad side effects and from your wish that you didn't get this film spoiled, uh, don't. I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it just bails out of that one real fast. <laughs> All right, we are back. This is spoiler territory. It's the after part of our review of 3,000 Years of Longing. We're going to be talking spoilers for the film, so watch out. Stephen Miller, where would you like to get started? So many places to go first. I want to say uh, it is interesting to know that this podcast basically is exactly like a gin in that it is made up of electromagnetic waves. Um, <laughs> there's a really interesting world building in this movie about the djinn and their relationship to science, you know, the interference of EM signals and how they are created. And there are even little interstitials about like step one, step two, step three. Um, I don't know if you followed any of it as an actual world that you understand, but I like the little hint that basically technology and magic are the same thing. I, yeah. I thought that was a, uh, that was fun. 
yeah, it felt like a you know it, it's very in line with some of the stuff we see in like the sort the Thor films and stuff like that. Um, mm. But I mean, e- even even before you know when the film starts off, she's giving basically a TED talk about narrative, and she's like, "We couldn't understand the world before, so we made up stories, and we use those. Nowadays, we have science, and that lets us understand the world. And science is our new version of stories." But then, yeah, what you're saying now is sort of the other side of that coin, which is science isn't just our version of stories. It's like the things work because the science allows them to work and it like blends those worlds pretty nice yep but yeah i I did not follow the steps of the creation of a of a gen though (laughs) yeah i couldn't tell it was funny it was one of those things where it seemed like those title cards or whatever you would say like the inserts that they put were going to come back kind of in a prestige type way and be like okay now on a broad scale let's see what that means um and it just never came back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just like, nope, we're done. That was just a little part of the movie we were going to show you. Um, yeah, one thing that I enjoyed uh, when kind of just looking around on Wikipedia and learning a bit about this movie is that, so I knew the story of Solomon and Sheba was a thing. Like that That I had known. I, I'd heard that before. Um, I didn't realize that everyone except for the final woman that the djinn falls in love with are historical figures with stories of their own that are similar to the way the movie paints them albeit the movie is saying like no look i have the hidden view um and it it, to me it makes the connective tissue so much more clever knowing that the movie basically is taking these established stories already of uh suleiman the magnificent or um uh ibrahim the mad you know the decadent king who had all these concubines and put fur all over his place and then he says like and then because she slipped on a tile i got out and like there, yeah, yeah. there are things like that that um the joy of it increased when i knew george miller wasn't making it from scratch he is like playing with existing mythology i maybe i'm dumb maybe other people knew that had already been a thing but i did not know <laughs> until going on wikipedia today i mean yeah i think that always enriches stuff um like I, I didn't have, like, even the full story of, like, Solomon memorized, but, like, I recognized all the names, and I was like, all right, so this is, like, like this is supposed to be actual. Plus, the way she responds to some of these stories is she she mm-hmm. she responds as though she knows where the story is going, and he's, like, always like, ah, but you didn't know this mm-hmm. part. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I still was able to... It's kind of like when there's a movie you haven't seen, but you've absorbed everything you need to from the collective world. And then you still get references, even if you haven't seen it. Um, it was kind of like, it felt like a little bit like that in the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so the one thing that I wanted to, to hit earlier is it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a complaint, but it's, it's mostly just me trying to work through the world and like think about like, because I love so much about what it's doing and the world building of it. But the one thing I don't fully understand is, is what actually denotes a wish having been made. Um, like, obviously, you know, there are the words that you say, but there's literally yeah. a hilarious scene where Dilla Swinton is like, it's like, I wish to have a sip of this tea. I wish to have a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> and she just like does all these things. And obviously that doesn't burn through her wishes. So there is an act. And also when... And are uh, you quibbling with the word deepest in deepest desire? Like, does it have to be the singular thing your heart most wants? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe. I mean, I'm not even. I'm not even thinking about. I wasn't even going into the words of of his initial statement. I was mostly just saying, like, for instance, when when the third person that he interacts with, when she wishes for all the knowledge in the world, in theory, he could have just went poof. You are now. You have all knowledge. Like, welcome. Mm-hmm. But instead, he brought books from different cultures and taught her mathematics and like all these different yeah. things. And it, and it and it was it was a full act that was years of her life. Theoretically, I mean, maybe it was a week, <laughs> but it it was yeah. it was a journey they went on together to consume the knowledge that she wanted. So it's like he clearly has the choice to say, "This is a wish right now. This is not a wish." But then, like, in the moment where she almost said, she says, I'm starting to wish that we had never met. And he's like, no, don't say that. And then that mm-hmm. doesn't become a wish, maybe because she said starting to. <laughs> and starting yeah. to is not an actual wish. But when we see the flashback, the the woman with knowledge says the same words, basically. And then he actually disappeared and went back. You know, I wish you were back in the bottle at the wherever you were from or whatever. Um, yeah. And then he gets sent back. So it's kind of like... 
like and and maybe it really is a thing about in that moment that woman did desire for him to yeah, be gone. She meant, she meant it as a true wish, not as a accidental statement, I think. Yeah. So maybe he yeah. maybe he can see into the soul of a person um and know whether they are actually wishing for this. But also like if you know, if you wish for twenty million dollars to appear in your bank account is that your deepest desire or is that just like a, right. a, a yeah. cognitive? Well, that, that's why I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought you were maybe quibbling with the superlative of does it has to be the single deepest thing that you want, you know? Um, but I, so I think going back to the, the woman Zephyr who wishes for all the knowledge in the world, to me, that is the magic of this movie, but also why the mechanism can't be followed in a kind of like, Oh, this is how the world works because it plays so much more like the kind of story you would hear of like, oh, and then th Zeus had Hercules go and slay 10,000 whatevers, you know? And it's yeah. like, it is the grandeur of it, the scale that defies logic, right? <laughs> he, he's basically Nathan for Ewing, um, <laughs> their wishes, but it's like, well, technically this will get you what you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also think the narrative reason for it is that these wishes they start out base and then they get closer and close. Every wish that happens could be explained physically and becomes a physically possible thing, except for ones that involve the gin. You know, uh, people fall in love. A uh, woman gets pregnant. Um, I, I want books. I want to learn all these. Like, those are all feasible things, which I think fits with Tilda Swinton's character's belief that, science is the new magic basically yeah. like the world now the information that we have is what the stories before were trying to fill with wishes and make believe um so even though the mechanism of what can a genie do becomes less meaningful in that world i think i like it for the the fable aspect of it and and yeah and i, and I still i still am totally fine with it in the long run i mean this film literally opens with voiceover that says this story is entirely true, but you will better accept it if I tell it to you as a fairy tale. So here we go. Yeah. Um, so it's like the film is already setting up like, hey, this is the territory we're going in. Just run with this and you'll enjoy it. And yep. I did run with it and I did enjoy it. So, totally. you know, message received. But it was just a, it was just like as I think more about some of the different powers, it's like like I love the beauty of I want all the knowledge in the world. Cool. Let's read this together and solve these problems and work on it. But then there's like... <laughs> there's one problem i can't solve i wish i could solve this problem it's like all right well i'm gonna teach you how to meditate like a gin does and then you mm -hmm. can solve it on your own like it's kind of it's yeah i i love i still love the beauty of what it's doing it's just it's kind of funny if you think about it like on paper sometimes yeah well and also it's kind of like the to be a djinn is to be a person in the 21st century. You know, you have access to all of this information. You dream while you're awake, so you don't sleep anymore. You just have constant stimulus overload. And I think the the fun, romantic aspect of this movie, the thing that felt eternal sunshiny to me, is basically the djinn is telling his story of 3,000 years of solitude and wanting nothing but freedom you know, wanting to be able to do whatever he wants because he is trapped, you know, he's stuck at the mercy of other people. But freedom is kind of overrated in this world. Like Tilda Swinton's first wish is basically like, I wish I were trapped. <laughs> you know, I wish something <laughs> could trap me the way love traps people. Yeah. And I think that is such a beautiful symmetry that if she had wished to fall in love maybe not for him to be in love with her, but just for her to fall in love. And then he turned and looked at her and then things started to shake. To me, that would be just the perfect ending of the movie because it is that open, like you just told me this long story of how people are terrible and everything goes wrong, no matter what you do and every attempt to service someone else ends in disaster. I want to feel that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that was really really cool and then it does go to interesting places after but it never to me hits the high of of that moment and the feelings i was feeling and, and i think that's like what it's trying to do on purpose right there there is some sense that it's like she comes up with what what with what she thinks based on the gin stories 
is the perfect one wish that gives the djinn everything the djinn needs and gives her everything she didn't realize she needed until that moment. And she wishes for it. And it should be everything shakes, fade to black, happy ending. But the world is saying, like, no, that's not how it works. There's too many forces right, working against this. Yeah, like, this is not a happy ending. But then they still find some in-betweeny space to thrive in, where it's like, mm-hmm. he can't be there with her like they thought. She has had a taste of this thing which she thought she she had built her life so that she was content just being alone with her books and her stories and her narratives and just living through all of those and then she realized she wants and needs more than that so it's like she has broken down all of all, all of her walls so that she can like give in to this other person he has done this before and is like never again but he's still willing to be drawn in by her by her power that she has um being just a mortal person and then they they're both like fuck it let's go for this let's do it let's just make this work realize it can't work but they're willing to have uh it's (laughs) it's like the uh the end of the matrix when uh the machines are like you know, there's a level of fucking failing where we're like, we're fine. Like we can, it, there's a, there's a, there's a level of preservation that we, we will be happy to achieve. That isn't us killing all the humans, but we can live in this one state. It's kind of like, they're sort of in that thing where they're like, Hey, this isn't what we wanted. It's not what we need. But if we can have these moments once every, you know, however long it's been between each, each time they visit, seems like it's been getting longer and longer, but, um, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like the the How to Train Your Dragon saga. You know, there's a magical thing that's real and it's wonderful and you form a relationship with it. But ultimately, you learn that while it is wonderful, it can't be forever. And the true version of loving it is to, like, let it go. And, like, I get it. Like, like I see that, too. And it is a kind of interesting, wistful coda on the movie. I just think... I think the last 20 minutes... First of all, it proves a flaw in her wish, which is she wished that he would have to love her. And it seems like right off the bat, you know that that doesn't work. Like, you know that that is going to make it be not great because now he is basically trapped by you. Like, he is uh, he is not getting what he wants and you hold all the power. And her arc is realizing that that was wrong and she should have let him freely love her. And to me the movie is about him reflecting on life and then her learning that she doesn't want to be alone anymore. And that extra learning on top just like doesn't fit with the story arc for me. It is like a totally separate learning. And I, I don't know. It just didn't move me in the same way. I, I kind of felt like, okay, why are we still, why is this story continuing? Like you did it. (laughs) Yeah. But I get the point that even this was a cautionary tale, so it fits with all the other stories. Like, I, you know, I, I see the argument. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that I wrote down that I wanted to mention is I think one of my favorite parts in this film is, you know, Tilda Swinton, like most of us might just assume that, like, when a gin is back in the bottle, it's like sleep, right? Like, mm-hmm. when they're out, they're awake. When they're in there, they're asleep. And there there's just this amazing scene where he just recounts like oh no gins don't sleep uh mm. when i was in that bottle for 3000 years like this is what i went through i went through how do i get out then what here then then at the end like when he when he gets to the point where he is praying to the to the gods that won't let him out that they keep him there just to, <laughs> just to hopefully yeah. that like it just despite they'll let him out like that i don't know there was something very very poetic about the way that and it just it just goes to be like oh wow yeah like i didn't really think about like once again when we watch these stories we watch them from the point of view view of the person who discovered the lamp or the bottle or the whatever not from the vantage point of the being that has lived in that bottle for some unknown amount of time um and i think that really um you know it, it was very very interesting yeah, definitely. And it makes me mix my metaphors because I just said that being loved was being trapped, like being trapped in a bottle. But it's interesting because his his solitude and that lowest of the low points when you finally decide the only way through it is to decide that it's what you want, you know, 
please keep me here, let me be alone, kind of is where Tilda Swinton's character is, which is like, I like my solitude, I want to be alone, this is good, this is what I like. And to him, that is like the lowest point that you can get, Yeah, <laughs> you know, is deciding that that is what you want. So it, I'm already, metaphors are mixed because I don't know if love is the connection when he's out. I guess love is when he has to serve someone else and freedom he never has, but solitude. Yeah, I don't know. Freedom doesn't exist, I guess, in, in the movie. I, th I think it just proves that Christopher Nolan was right. Love is a five-dimensional tesseract that can transcend time mm -hmm. and space. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, love is probably also electromagnetic waves. They're, they're probably made of the same thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, a any last, any last uh, thoughts, Stephen, on this film? No, I think I think we covered it. It's just it is very enchanting, and when I tried to recount to Joanna what it was about, I was like, well, there's like a... Idris Elba is a djinn, and he is telling stories, and there's like, you know, Sheba, Solomon, yeah, there's that, and then... There's, there's, there's like cookies. another one, I don't remember, I don't remember it as well, but it involves like... The father killing a son. No, but then there's a part where there's this guy that is like having sex all the time. <laughs> like, like when I tried to recount it, I was like, wow, I cannot trace the thread of this plot at all. Um, and then I pivoted it to just recounting how it made me feel. And I think that went over much better. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the one thing I will say, the, uh, the, <laughs> there, uh, you know, we saw this at an Alma draft house, which involves, you know, having food and stuff. I definitely uh, almost almost gagged on my popcorn when the one guy sticks his hand out through the little peeper hole. <laughs> uh, oh, and it's all wet. Yeah, I was like, oh, what's going on there? And then the mom grabs yeah, it and like, kisses the back of his hand. I was like, oh. <laughs> I hope that's sweat. I don't. I didn't want to ask. I don't, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to know. I wish that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And on that note... <laughs> Mm -hmm. Everybody should go see 3,000 Years of Longing. Yep. Cool. Uh, I think that's going to do it. We will see you uh, next time with another review. <laughs> Bye. Bye.